Now from Hollywood, California, the horror capital of the world, the Boulay Brothers, Creatures of the Night. On today's episode, we'll be departing from the regular format of the Boulay Brothers Creatures of the Night to bring you a special three-part interview. Four years ago, we set out to change the perception of drag by creating a televised competition reality show that would elevate and celebrate real, raw, punk political drag artists. Each season, one champion rose to the top and snatched the crown, the grand prize, and the title of Dragula, the world's next drag supermonster. Today we are joined by all three winners from the Belay Brothers Dragula, which is now streaming on Netflix. Season 1's Vander Von Odd, Season 2's Bitch Puddin', and Season 3's Landon Cider. We're going to start by welcoming our firstborn to the show. Please welcome the world's first drag super monster, Vander Von Odd. Hello, how hey. are you? Hi Vander, how are you? I'm good. I'm just at home uh, in my dungeon, sitting in an 18-inch corset, as every good ghoul should in the daytime. (laughs) Paint the picture for us. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, uh, my room is all black velvet, courtesy of the leftover Dracula fabric from the judge's booth. (laughs) And relics from the many seasons, such as the television from the intros of season two, and the demon's blood vial from uh, the Dungeons and Drag Queens challenge, because I haven't seen y'all like out of work since then so i haven't been able to actually give you that bottle back oh so that's where it is (laughs) (laughs) sitting beautifully on my shelf yes that it is does the curtains kind of keep you in check does it make you feel like you have to be on your game with those judge curtains hanging all around you i I definitely feel the air of exhaustion that can only be acquired through filming dragula just (laughs) forever looming around me See, it's good training because anything you do from now on will be easier. So, yeah, you know, if you stay fucked up, you don't have to get fucked up. So, (laughs) (laughs) all right. So, I'm going to start off by taking you all the way back to the beginning. So, let's transport in our minds back to when we first called you about appearing on the show. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you have any idea? that your life was going to change so much when you got that first call from us? You know, I remember thinking this could be major, but really, Dragula didn't exist. Like, the o- I didn't even know what it was going to be like. The only reference I had for it was, I remember y'all sent me a Vimeo link of the then, uh, like, pre-intro video that was released of, like, you know... Uh, 10 or so-and-so drag queens uh, will come together for this competition. And, you know, it was the shots of, of like this crown and, and mm-hmm. it was y'all like almost sitting in the forest having like a tea party. And yeah, uh, it was literally the only reference I had for what the show was going to be. So I was like, this could be major or, right. you know, it could just be a fun experience. I really had no idea. I was, I was kind of, I went into it like everyone just kind of with no expectations. Isn't it crazy how things like that, you know, and, and with, with you, I remember it was very last minute too. It was sort of kismet that, you know, you made the deadline, it worked out and boom, you were on the show. And it's interesting. I think it's interesting, at least when you look back at moments like that and you're like, wow, there's something 
there. Like that almost couldn't have happened, you know? Oh, there were a series of coincidences that led up to that happening. You know, uh, squeaky, like randomly introducing me to you, to you one night. Uh, and then like Tito, who just happened to be at a show where I was performing for a tip spot and he saw me and like, he put in a good word, uh, just all these things. And then I just happened to check my DMS that day. Cause we, we actually didn't know each other. We had met once, but mm-hmm. there was no like line of communication. I didn't even have like a booking email. Cause I didn't even get paid gigs yet. And I remember just like, I had just done a photo shoot. I got in my car, I sat down and I just happened to open my Instagram DMS. And there was a message from Boulay brothers there. Uh, and I, at the time, I also didn't check my socials very often, so I could have very easily totally missed that message, you know, and then yeah. never gone back to you. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's so crazy how things happen. And that kind of, uh, you know, leads into the next question. You know, we were such a small crew back on season mm-hmm. one. Oh, yes. But to those of us behind the scenes, there was always sort of a thick, potent magic in the air that felt like we were doing something big. And I always wondered as a competitor, did you feel that on the other side? I, it's funny, uh, episodes one and two, I think I was so, I was such a, like, a stress-induced, like, husk of a human being showing up to set that, like, I, I wasn't even fully cognizant of what was going on. But I, I remember a very specific moment in when we were shooting the, zom- uh, the, the third episode, the zombie episode, where I was taking off my makeup in the camper. It had been after we had shooting, we had been shooting for, like, 10 hours in Death Valley and full drags. I was exhausted. I was only like half conscious at that point. And I was taking off my makeup. And I remember having a moment of like, this is going to be huge. Like, this Mm. is going to be a big fucking thing. And I'll never forget that moment. It was such a specific moment while I was taking off my makeup. Yeah. Thinking back to that time, um, who did you see as maybe your biggest competition? Melissa B. Fierce. (laughs) I think a lot of people did. When that bag came off her head, I shit my panties and I was like, all right, we can all go home. This is over. <laughs> uh, and I didn't know Melissa. I, had, I, know, I knew of her and my perception of her was that she was going to be a huge bitch and she was just like a lethal drag beast. Uh, so yeah, I, I didn't want to fuck with Melissa, but we ended up becoming like the closest friends through the show. Yeah, I I have a confession. I mean, obviously, we love all of our monsters, uh, but I I always have had a special soft spot for Melissa B. Fierce. Like, mm-hmm. I think Melissa is just such a, a great person and such a great performer. And, um, and such a great competitor. Yeah. Oh, I think yeah. And it's oh, funny yeah. because, you know, it's not necessarily... I always looked at Melissa as kind of punk because, you know, she has the, like, tattooed up arms and the skulls on her hands and everything, but she her her she presents as very glamorous and mainstream. And how, I always thought it was interesting to have her on the competition because it's like, uh, it's like a Marilyn Munster kind of thing, you know? Oh, totally. Uh, her, she has this facade that hides the fact that She's like an inch away from murdering anyone who steps in front of her and gets in her way. <laughs> and there's totally. kind of a magic to that as well. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that's hilarious. Well, oh a- as we all know, um, you went on to win the show and it really started to catch fire. The queer community was like super excited about it. Um, but there was also like this confusion about what to do with you. And I don't know if you felt that at all. Um, you know, you also had us pulling at you as far as how you were going to define what being a winner of our show was for, for yourself and for future winners. So was any and all of that overwhelming uh, for you at all? 
Oh, in the beginning, it totally was. Because, um, I, again, I, I went from being someone who was only doing tip spots to suddenly traveling the country doing shows. And that was a, that was a huge shift for me, um, especially because prior to this, you know, I moved to LA to pursue film. Drag was something that I kind of fell upon and fell in love with, and it, it absorbed every aspect of my life. Uh, but even still, you know, it went from being a hobby to being a full-time career. And and another thing I think a lot of people don't consider was that I was only doing drag for a year and a half when I got on the show. So I was still very much discovering who I was as a drag artist. I was still discovering my gender identity. So as I was embarking on this like sudden career i was also still not really fully myself i was still like evolving as i was embarking on this career so uh it was a really awesome experience uh one of the things that i'm really grateful for was that because it was season one and because um the show wasn't like instantly popular you know the popularity grew over time Mm -hmm. i i was still able to kind of ease into that pressure it wasn't like you know a lot of people who go on like major reality shows within like overnight they're famous and that's a whole other beast to take on i i was able to kind of ease into it and um still able to like find myself in all of it it was weird because none of us knew exactly what to expect or how big it was becoming behind the scenes and i remember talking to you uh maybe like a month or so after you won and you were getting a lot of messages and there was you know all these reddit threads and i and i remember i felt like you felt overwhelmed or at least you know i I felt like you handled it very well but i can just imagine how crazy that must have been and i always wanted to ask you about it yeah it was you know something i've never really talked about which was something we talked about at the time was i was even i was i was getting pressure from so many sides to get on this other reality show and at the time i I almost felt like that was the next thing i had to do because it was i was hearing so many voices um so many people that i looked up to that i I had admired for so long telling me you have to do this you have to do that you have to get on the show you have to blah blah blah," you know uh and and i remember talking to you guys about it and and now i'm I'm so insanely happy that I didn't do it because who I ended up like, you know, as I discovered my identity and the things that I'm really passionate about, um, I very quickly discovered that, uh, that more than, more than likely would have been an absolute disaster for me. Uh, and I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm so happy that I didn't do that. And I went and I kind of did my own thing and then started working on the show and now look where we are, you know? Absolutely. You're you're wise beyond your years, but I do want to remind you and everyone listening, mothers know <laughs> best. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Well, it was mm-hmm. hard because at the time, you know, you want to say, hey, this is sort of the goal and we have a feeling that this is where this is going and you're kind of you're kind of the icon of this brand because you're the first winner and you're, you know, it, it, it's almost like you know, we sort of had a, a an idea for what would happen, but there was no guarantee. So it was weird to be like, well, you don't want to tell someone not to do something. But at the same yeah. time, you're like, look, I think this is going to work out for you in a different way. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, at, at the time, I was also very naive about the workings of a lot of these reality shows and how many other other reality shows actually operate as opposed to Dracula, where, where Dracula was very organic for me i've also had a chance to work behind the scenes on other reality shows and it's not something i would want to be a part of personally in front of the camera behind the camera i'm fine in front of it not so much i understand that completely mm-hmm. um you, speaking of you came on as a crew member f- for season two and you saw the show grow firsthand and i was oh, curious yeah. like how did working on the other side of the camera change your perception of what we were doing from when you were talent on the show that part of it actually didn't so much change my perception. I think it only 
amplified my love for the show and what we were doing. Um, uh, more so it was my perception of other shows that changed and I was much more realistic about what other shows and other things were doing. And, and Dragula just fell in line with what I was passionate about. So working behind the, behind the scenes on the show, just like amplified my love for what Dragula does for people who see it. I like hearing that because it's always, you know, we, we always try our best and we encourage the team to try our best, but it's like, you know, you just never know. You always want to do better. And it's, I, I always love to hear that people have a pleasant experience and feel, you know, that it's positive because it's, it's hard to put together and sometimes it's a runaway oh, yeah. train. Yeah. And I think one thing that, that's important to know is that um, we also never like sugarcoat things, you know, like Dragula isn't perfect. We have our own shortcomings. And one thing that I, I've been happy about with the show is that every season we come back, we kind of, it, it's always better. You know, nothing's ever perfect, but to be a part of a project that you can see is striving to always be better and do better by the people that work on it and the people that, you know, watch it as an audience, uh, for me is very fulfilling as well. Well, I think that's why it's been such a pleasure to have you as part of the team on the other side of the camera, because not every artist, not every contributor has that kind of like moral compass. You know, some people are driven by money or some people are driven by position and, um, you know, the opportunity to have more power influence or whatever. But some people are driven by the idea that you're making something magical and the actual experience of being part of a team to do that is a huge part of the reward. And to hear you say that it kind of just underlines that idea because we we really operate from that from that space too. So it, it seems like there's a serious harmony there. I think too there's some magic about Vander Vander's image when Vander is, you know, in full drag. And then the fact that competitors come on and they see Vander just like you know, in regular clothes, working on the set, we're all in there like covered in dust and sweating. And it sort of shows that we all, all aren't afraid to get our hands dirty and put the work in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Regular clothes and a corset. Thank you. Right. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, big work gloves. <laughs> excuse me. Work gloves, combat boots, and a corset. Thank you. Oh, yes. Thank you. <laughs> my work uniform. Right. Oh, oh. oh my God. <laughs> so, you know, you spoke earlier about your drag going through an evolution. And so I was wondering, like, since winning the show, how has your performance style changed? And what do you think influenced that change? You know, I think part of what influenced it was that I was able to travel and see other performers. And I quickly realized that, you know, a lot of the performances I were doing, although a lot of the artwork in general I was creating, although it was fun, uh, it, it didn't necessarily have like a lot of personal emotional substance to it and when i was able to travel and see other performers and see other performers emotionally like leave a huge imprint in in myself i was like oh like that's that's what i really want to do to people is i i want to explore the most intimate parts of myself and share that with people because people who see themselves in that they it's just it's so it's so important and so personal when you see a performance like that so i kind of stopped focusing on what i thought um, both I and the audience liked and just started focusing on what was very important to me and channeling that through my work. And the response was immediate, like so immediate. I could, I could just tell how people responded to that style of performance versus what I was doing before. And how rewarding was that to know that when you actually went for what you were passionate about, people still responded positively because, you know, doing more serious shows or more artistic shows in the drag space is not always successful and you've had great success at it. So how that must be really rewarding, right? 
Oh, it's it's insanely rewarding, and it it allows me to connect with the audience in in such a personal way. Where uh, during the meet and greets, you know, I have very personal interactions with people and what the numbers mean to them. And sometimes, what a number means to them is completely different from what I intended. Uh, but because it's presented in a way that's so personal, they they're able to connect with it, and it connects as it, to them, you know, as it applies to, to their life. And, and it, for me, it kind of, it builds a sense of community. It, it builds a sense of like, I, I'm on stage, I see you, you see me, and we're having this kind of magical interaction that is only going to exist for these like three minutes on stage, you know, and that's, you, you really can't replicate that. I've not been able to replicate that in any other way. No, I love that. There's a magic to the experience for sure. Mm-hmm. I think there's a healing energy to it too, to some of your shows. And I think we, we experience this too, sometimes that, you know, People in the queer community go through a lot, and especially mm-hmm. some disenfranchised queer people that come to all of our shows. And it does mean something different to them. And you can see it the sort of them work through their own problems through your performance. Yeah. And you know what's funny for me is is that I kind of I build my performances for myself before anyone else. Like really they're they're for me and what you're saying about them being healing. Yeah, like all, all my performances have been very cathartic for me because they're touching on things that I struggle with. And I guess to be able to present that. In, in an honest way on stage and, and see people feel similarly or somehow connect to that, it, it definitely makes you feel like you're not alone in this, you know, like we're all uh, struggling through this together. Mm-hmm. I always feel lucky that we're able to do that because it would be, you know, we're, we're, we're fortunate to have the opportunity to be able to perform for people like that and work through things on stage and have people appreciate it instead of booing us and throwing tomatoes <laughs> <laughs> Although that's lovely too, but that's our, job. that's our job when it comes to the challenges. Of oh my god! Four. Yeah. Now, I I want to touch on a couple of things that both of you guys had mentioned. Um, you know, Vander put it, and I and I love this. You said, "Well, I you know, you discovered what you wanted to do to the audience, and this opportunity of sharing personal stories and kind of connecting with them on a level that's unique, and maybe it's only unique in this in kind of a theatrical space, which drag really is. Mm-hmm. And we are we are fortunate because I for me personally, like I can kind of agree on both of those points because there are things that I like to do to the audience. And we have this very small, um, magical opportunity to present these ideas and kind of challenge them or heal them or excite them or just entertain them. And I think for each drag artist, they figure out which makes the most sense for them. But, you know, as the Boulets, we are also sitting there thinking like, what can we do to them? How can we affect them? It's, it's a, mm-hmm. they're, they're giving us permission. Like they're here to see it. So let's give it to them. Oh, totally. And you know, funny, uh, slightly unrelated, but still related in a way. There was something you said out of Queen Kong once that like stuck with me. You said something along the lines of like, I thank the universe every fucking day that I'm queer. And I, I definitely, that like that hit me hard and it, it always stuck with me because, you know, uh, being queer and growing up queer, you're so ashamed of what you are for such a long time. And Absolutely. now, I, now being queer has given me everything. It's given me my career. It's given me my confidence. Like everything I'm happy about in my life is because I'm queer as shit. And, and now like, I just can't imagine a life where, I, I I wasn't queer, you know, like that. That would be such a mundane, boring oh, fucking life. I know. It's a sick and boring life. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the world of heterosexuals is a sick, a sick and, boring and boring life. life. Well, mm-hmm. it's empowering. You know, I, I always think of people like us as the shamans of the queer community, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you do have to suffer. You do have to suffer for your otherness for a long time until you come into your power and say, how can I reclaim this and use this? 
to benefit me and other people. Totally. Yeah. And, and once you harness that power, you, you, you really are unstoppable. So let's go uh, on to a different topic. I wanted to ask you your thoughts on this. In a day and age where queer people are more fluid with how they perceive and present their gender, what role do you feel gender plays in drag? I mean, drag really is the artistry of gender performance. Gender is is everything. You know, what would drag be without gender expression? Uh, I've, I've always thought of drag as, you know, like, I've undergone different definitions of drag because, you know, when I was first introduced to drag, it was only celebrity impersonation because I grew up in Mexico. That's what's popular there. Mm-hmm. And then drag became men dressed as women. And then that turned into a question of like, but what is a man? What is a woman? What makes a man or a woman? And how does physical appearance tie into that in any way, shape or form? And and now my, my definition of drag is so, so vast. I, I always think of drag as just to sort of, put on the body uh, an expression that comes from within and telling us some kind of story through that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I firmly believe that not all drag artists have to be performers. You know, some drag artists are just visual artists. Uh, some drag artists are poets. Some drag artists are stage performers, uh, you know, lip syncing, dancing, anything. And, and yeah, for me, uh, drag, it really just is the art form of, of wearing your own expression. And and that's why drag also exists in daily life. I underwent my own transformation where I, I started to realize that I was more comfortable in drag than I was in my day clothes. So then my day clothes started to change. And now I own like one pair of pants, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I drag really is the, the ultimate form of self-expression for me. And, and gender is, is such a big part of my life that that, you know, inevitably, is at the forefront of my drag. Yeah, and there's so many different sort of drag performers and it's not a new thing, but th- these people get you know are more prevalent now as drag becomes more popular. And you know, I always wonder because everyone's definition is different. Like if you f- if gender plays less of a role in drag, then what is drag? Oh, I mean, that's a that's a tricky question. I don't I don't know if if that's even possible, because the way that clothes are designed, the way that clothing is marketed is so heavily gendered. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those things where even if you don't want to be a part of it, we are all in a way playing a part in gender and how socially we perceive different aesthetics, different styles of clothing as gendered, when in reality, that's completely made up. It's a total construct and drag sort of looks to poke fun at that or tear it apart or yeah. enforce it in a way that's comical, you know? Yeah. And, you know, it, even people like, you know, a local performer here who used to work on the show, uh, Tito, who performs, I think of as a drag performer and oh, totally. he's not in drag, but you know that it changes your perception of what you think drag is. So I always like to ask people because I think the definition is constantly evolving. Oh yeah. And, and for me, like for me, I have like my daytime drags, you know, like everything I put on my body in some way is drags because I am influencing, I'm manipulating the way in which people perceive me and, and clothing for me has become a, a source of power because I, I have total control over what I put on my body and I have total control over how people, uh, may interpret that because of, you know, uh, our societal perception of clothing and what it means. Yeah. And you can really, you learn as a drag performer to, you can manipulate 
the situation with how you present yourself. You know, someone that shows up in a power suit, very clean cut, automatically gets a certain amount of respect. And it's almost like a game. Yeah, it totally is. And, and sometimes it's um, detrimental, but oftentimes you can also play it to your advantage. Uh, like for me, I, I, I told myself, I was completely going to stop wearing t-shirts. I only wear like dresses or blouses or tops or things that look like sort of nicer. Mm -hmm. And I can definitely tell the shift in how people treat me at say like the airport. And I'm always very conscious of it. I never let it get to my head because I know people are treating me a certain way because of how I look. Yeah, But I can still use that to my advantage because for so much of my life, people treat me like shit and I'm so over that. Yeah. Totally. And we, I think that too, it's, it's, it was disappointing to learn that because I'm like, wow, you're the same person. But it's like, if you wear this versus that, someone's going to treat you totally different. But, you know, that's the society we live in. Um, let's go back to the Belay Brothers Dragula for a minute. I'm curious what piece of advice you would give someone who wants to be on the show. Um, you know what, this is, this is going to sound so like hearted a million times, but really like truthfully, just be your most honest self, like your absolute most honest self. Uh, because first of all, it's, it's easier to just cast people because you can, you can really tell when someone in, uh, in an audition tape is performing for you like trying to convince you there's someone they're not it's so it's so transparent it's so easy to clock uh versus it's so much more endearing and and easy to connect with someone who just is is genuine in their tape uh mm-hmm. but also when you're on the show i think because we have so many reality tv shows as reference so many drag performers know other drag performers who have been on other shows um a lot of people are trying to sort of manipulate how they come across on screen and a uh, sort of manipulate the character that they play on the show and i've seen it so many times it never works out for people it it truly never works out and then the people who are genuine even if they don't have a great run on the show the audience is is so easy to sort of connect with them because they see them you know they see the real them yeah Uh, so my advice is always just like be your true self. Like, just don't try to manipulate who you are or what you are for the show. If you are genuine, it will come across and people will love you for who you are. And when you get off the show, they're not going to be loving someone that you aren't. So true. And I think a way that you could say that in a, a very concise little message is leave the supernatural to us. And when it comes to your audition, be natural because it really oh resonates. And that's oh, what people- God. <laughs> oh, God. I, I uh, remember that clip of Loris from season one. Uh, Do you remember that, Vander? Uh, I think it was on The Secrets one? Revealed <laughs> where she goes, she said, I'm Loris and I'm this and that. We're like, who is that? That's not even Loris's personality. And she was like, let, let me try that again. I'm just going to be myself. <laughs> oh my God. You know, I can't, I can't shade her for that. Cause I did the same shit. And I remember when, when Tito, cause it was so sudden. They were like, say, say like what you are and what your drag is. And I'm here, this like fucking drag baby. And I said something so stupid and Tito literally put the camera down and he was like, girl, <laughs> I'm thankfully never made it on the show. And that was my cue to like, don't bullshit people. Cause it's so transparent. You know, it really is. It really, you, you can see it from a million miles away. Mm-hmm. I love Loris for those moments, though. There's something about Loris's delivery of those things that I always, I don't know why. I'm like fascinated to watch her on the show with all that, you know? 
I mean, there's a reason that speech went viral. The I'm Lawrence. <laughs> I mean, you can't. That that was kind of magical in its own way. It really was, and all the all the seasons are so different. Um, you know, season one was really raw. Season two was more punk and wild. Season three was sort of, I feel like, is more emotional and kind of political. What would you like to see more of in like future seasons? Let's say. Oh, that's interesting. I hmm. I feel like we've seen so much. I I mean, it'd be nice to not have a, a crying season, uh, season three. Every, <laughs> Thank you for saying fucking, that. Every fucking day, somebody was crying. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Which and was then interesting. Some of them were like, I didn't. And then some of them were like, I really wanted to talk about this. I'm like, you said enough. I'm like, trust me. Like, we've said enough this season. Like, believe me. And people are like, I wanted to talk about this and this and this. I was like, guys, this isn't group therapy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's close, but not quite there. Right. Um, as far as, as far as future seasons, um, I guess it would really, it would be really fun to see some uh more like openly trans contestants one of the things it's funny because i had a conversation about the vixen with this because we did face a little bit of backlash in regards to casting but what a lot of people don't know is that it was actually really hard to for example cast uh people of color to cast trans performers to cast Mm -hmm. these people because very few of them auditioned so like our selection pool was so tiny that we had to like kind of really like pick through it was like slim pickings you know and Mm -hmm. i i reached out to the vixen and i was like hey we're kind of getting chewed up over the diversity of the show but it like we've literally reached out to people about Mm -hmm. who we thought would be great and so many have said no and so few audition and this and that and vixen said something that really stuck with me and i stand by and she said you know what there were occasions where i was uh, bothered by something not being diverse enough. And when I questioned why, I realized it was because no one was stepping up to the plate. And she said, you know, sometimes I just told myself, I have to be that person to step up and be the representation because nobody else will. And, and that really stuck with me. So I guess what I would love to see for a future season w- would be for more, um, more black artists, more trans artists, more, just more diversity in, in, in people who audition and to really, you know, if you want to see that representation, like be that representation, like please, cause we yeah. want it, but we're struggling to find it. And also, you know, this is something if you've seen the horror noir on Shudder, but it talks oh, about, I loved it. Yeah. You know, it talks about black representation and horror and it's just infamously not the most popular uh genre for people of color to work in you know and so it's sort of yeah and so we already are like okay first of all you have to be a drag artist okay now you have to be black okay now you have to let us do crazy shit to you okay now you have to be good on reality tv it's like the pool gets so small you know yeah Um, totally and i think the thing is those people are out there though like we mm -hmm. know they're out there yeah, I think they are too. And I mean, you know, I feel like I, I'm really proud of the diversity that we have already been able to offer. But, you know, just like when Dragula used to be a club or Queen Kong, I want it to be that diverse, you know? And I think mm-hmm. if we just keep projecting it, when we go on tour, like in the UK, we always tell everybody, we're like, everyone audition. You know, we try to remind everybody. And I think if we just keep pushing, uh, eventually the show will become that. Diverse. That's exactly what I was thinking as you guys are talking. Like, we just have to continue to keep pushing because we're, we are redefining the boundaries. We're letting everybody know that we're open to more things and they may have been programmed to believe. We're reeducating people to say, you know what, this is an art form. It's like there's a million ways to express yourself with paint. Who's who's one person to say that this this painting is more relevant 
ornament or more acceptable or more uh, okay to be considered a painting, no one should have that. I, no one should have that power and no one really does. So we're kind of throwing the doors open and it may just take a little bit of time, but as long as we keep pushing, I think season after season, that diversity will, will manifest. I do too. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I'm excited to see it happen. It's the same thing with the crew. We always try to be as diverse as possible. And I, we were really proud of being able to bring, you know, we had trans people on the crew. We had tons of women on the crew, which is very not traditional for film crews. A lot of women don't get opportunities. And, you know, I feel like we were lacking in, in diversity as far as having black crew members. And that's something that we too were like, you know, at the beginning of Black Lives Matter, we were all meeting and be like, this is something that we failed on that we could have been better at. And, you know, again, it's the same thing back to horror noir where it's like, there's not a lot of black creatives working in that industry, but they are there. So it's just like project mm-hmm. the message that like, we want these people to apply. And, you know, I think it can manifest. It's kind of, we we're doing, uh, like a, a fundraiser right now for the Queer Woman of Color Media Arts Project because we're like, how can we encourage more people to work in this field? So we're trying to put our money where our mouth is and uh, and encourage that. Yeah, and it's great. And it's exciting. You know, we're in the middle of a revolution. I think it's coming and and I, I really can't wait. So I guess, yeah, that's what I'm most excited for for future seasons. <clears throat> Well, Vander, we've talked about this so many times in the past, but I do want to thank you for being everything we could have hoped for in a winner of the show and for being just such an inspirational figure in our community. Um, You really are an unparalleled artist and performer. Uh, Your voice as an activist is wise, you're patient, you're kind. um, And I think we need a little more of that in this community. So thank you for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much for, I mean, literally changing my life. You know, like I have my career because of Dragula. So thank you. It's been incredibly transformative for my life. And I know for the lives of people who are, are on the show, who work on the show, who, who watch the show. So um, kind of making history. It's really exciting. Well, thank you for being a part of it. Yeah. And you're just eternally in our debt. That's all. <laughs> There is that. Forever in your debt. (laughs) All right, well, we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we will be joined by the second winner of the Boulay Brothers Drive, Bitch Pudding. Arda Wiggs has been serving looks in the drag and costume community since 2009. Their reputation in the wig world is well known for providing luscious, thick, snatchingly good styles that turn heads and ensure you are serving the most devilish of looks. With over 100 colors and 80 styles to choose from, they're sure to have something to make you scream. Use the code ARDABOULE10 for 10% off at arda-wigs.com and treat yourself to something truly hair-raising. Right, we are back and joining us now is the winner of the Boulet Brothers Dragula Season 2, Bitch Puddin. Bitch, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me. How Hi. are you? I'm doing good, you know, bathing, you know, staying inside, <laughs> pooping. Essential. You know, good things, yeah. You've been very busy recently, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no sleeping for the wicked, you know. You just gotta 
turn lemons into lemonade. I said, fuck Hurricane Rona. We're still doing drag up in this bitch. Yeah. yeah you're, like, you're really, you know, you came up with such an incredible new project that's really helped a ton of people. Yeah. The digital drag show has been so crazy. We are going into our 16th show next week. Uh, we did like a full on 15 shows back to back, 14 shows, one mukbang and kind of came out of like, you know, all the bars closing down. And I actually did a gig with Alaska and she was like, it was the Trixie Chick show at Precinct. And she was like, oh my God, do you think this is going to be our last like gig for a while? <laughs> oh my God, your Alaska and- is so good. <laughs> Thank you. And me and Willem were combing our hair being like, <laughs> hope not. And then like the next week it was like, no, shit's closed down. And, you know, I was like, well, fuck it. I guess we got to do digital drag now. And, you know, we've been doing it since and had about 30 to 20 entertainers each and every week from all over the globe. And that's the brilliant thing about digital drag is like you could have wherever the fuck. I don't have to fly a bitch out here or a king out here to do the show. <laughs> like yeah. I can just right. submit something from the Internet. So that's been really fun. When you first came up with the concept and you sat down to book it, did you think that you would still be doing this? I thought it would be a sprint. You know, I thought yeah. maybe two months max because I thought yeah. everyone was going to take this quarantine shit seriously. And for those who are going out on 4th of July acting a damn fool, I'm going to cuss you out and your damn mother. Fuck <sighs> y'all. Because the reason we're not able to go out and have a good time right now is because you guys are not fucking staying inside and it pisses me off. Truly. But yeah, I literally thought it was a sprint, but it turned out to be a marathon and we went 15 weeks straight and I was getting burnt out. So I was like, you know what? I still want to do the show, but we're going to do bi-weekly. So we're coming back on the 17th and we'll be every other week from then on. And that'll just yeah. give us more time <clears throat> and breathing room instead of like you know you know it's like booking drag artists it's like of course of course no and i know that the digital show is a completely different beast it's like a beast of a different color but we do know a little thing or two about booking weekly shows so (laughs) it it can you really do have to pace yourself your whole life and it's with you guys doing the tech you know it's just the same thing but diff you know but different in other ways but you know i know you guys are spending all week working on it so it's got to be exhausting yeah it just kept becoming a cycle and then i was like adding other streams like muggle mondays where i stream me out of drag where i just play cool like horror video games by dead by daylight and stuff like that resident evil and then on thursdays i've been having a makeup show called bitching makeup where i have a guest on i've had louisiana bora eva destruction and those are on thursdays where we do like makeup and then play video games then i also had androgen and people that weren't on dragula as well but yeah it's been really fun but like when it kept going i was like you know what like i'm getting burnt out and you, you net creating from a negative space is like not good mm. but i was like we need like a good break so we've been off for like I, I streamed for the first time yesterday and then i feel really good about going into you know next week's show you just kind of need those moments to breathe especially like now more than ever to, even though like you're not working you're still for me i am working but it's like it's hard because you don't have a moment to let yourself off because you're like you have you sit at home and you're like oh i could be doing this 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 and this and you kind of go into a cycle yeah a little rejuvenation goes a long way (laughs) that coffin rest is good (laughs) it is good so listen i want to go back in time um back to the first episode of the second season (laughs) and i want to we're curious um you know this Uh is one of our only opportunities to really sit down and kind of have a a two-on-one with you and like you Mm -hmm. know ask some questions that may have been lingering for a while what did you think your chances were of walking away with the crown when you walked in um on day one I walked in on day one, especially me and our monsters, and I saw everybody, and I felt terrible about my look that day. I was not happy how it came out, and I was like, okay, like at least I know I'm at like my C minus, so I know I have room to improve, right? Sure. And I saw the room, and I was like, okay, like they all look great. 
Like everyone looks really cool. But when I was talking to them and getting to know them a little bit, I was like, none of them have that personality that I think the boo, like you guys were looking for, for the season two winner. And I was like, if I can make it through halfway, I have a really good <laughs> shot because I know they, you can train. I could like look better as the episodes go on, but I know a lot of them didn't have that like personality. I feel like, you know, how does it feel to win Dragula? And you get handed the mic and you have to talk about the franchise and the show. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that was really important for a season two winner as the franchise was growing. So I thought my chances were really good. Um, even though the odds were stacked against me, episodes one and two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, talking about episodes one and two, uh, something that Drac and I still admire you for, because even when we look back, we can. It's so apparent to see how you took head on all of that confrontation that was thrown at you and all of that aggression, um, and you were able to kind of just humanize it and deal with it and talk through it. Um, how did you keep your head on straight during that time? It's weird because in retrospect, I look back at my life and I'm like, I was a Navy kid. I moved around a lot. And, you know, guys make friends in the second grade and stay friends for life, you know, and they just have like, it's like me, John and Jet. And we're like friends forever. And like an outsider guy coming in who's from a different city makes friends with girls because he's queer and they get bitter. You know, I just have always dealt with like bullying my whole life, Hmm. like always like pushed into lockers, called faggot, all these fucking wonderful, colorful words. And I, I feel like even, you know, in Atlanta, there was a pe- part of hazing and coming up in that scene as well. And I feel like when I was finally put in that position, I had all that experience of bullying. And I learned over time, like when you react and give someone like something to show for, that's when they really go in with the knives and kill you. Mm-hmm. But I realized like, you know, over time, like actions speak louder than words. And it got to a point where like, I couldn't say anything to save myself from that situation. I just had to lead with my actions and how I acted as a competitor and I, how I acted through the competition. And I'm really lucky that, you know, I got a chance to show that on the show, but also it's been one of the biggest things that resonates with audiences for me, at least when they reach out to me, like I like literally get called a lesbian, like this girl who came to the Dragula tour or for our first one in the UK and she's like, I'm a lesbian and I get like rocks thrown at me on the way to school because like I literally am one of the only out people in my town. And I saw you going through bullying on that show and it's inspired me to like, you know, if bitch could handle that shit, I can go through that too. Right. You know? well, wow. that was, you weren't afraid to confront them. You just weren't aggressive about it, which I really respected. Right. Especially when like Dolly was like coming at me. I was like, you've never worked with me. Like, you don't know what it's like to work with me in a dressing room. Like, you're hearing these people saying, but you don't know if that experience didn't for me. And, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. You have to have those experiences. And my mom is always, like, give me a good representation of that. For instance, like, one year for prom, she, like, we were going to get the my tuxedo. It was, like, a dumb rental. And, like, every, like we kept waiting and waiting and waiting because everyone waited to the last minute to get stuff. And I was, like, having a temper tantrum when I got in the car. I was, like, why did they do that? Da, 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 da. My mom was, like, well, maybe they waited to the last second because their mom got their paycheck that day and they were finally able to pay for the outfit for their child to go to prom. And that shut Mm. me right the fuck up. Mm. You know, like it's always one instance of looking at what other person's going through to realize like, you know, what the real situation is. Sure. And, you know, so that coming off of that experience, at what point did it start to flip for you? And you thought, okay, I could actually win this now. It was to be honest, when I put the wig on for the alien look, Okay. That was like, the, I've never felt more confident in drag. Like, you know, I got to show my performance the last episode for the Rock Challenge, but when I put on that wig for the <laughs> alien look, and I, mm-hmm. I like, I, I feel like all the notes I got in when Atlanta, when the bitch was like telling me, like, girl, you need to suck it in. You make sure you're wearing nails. Your shoes are scuffed, bitch. Alcohol rub them off. Like, 
I felt I took all the notes and everything I had learned into drag and applied it into one thing, into a character that I probably never thought I would try. You know, like I, like a random ass waitress in Mars who's like raunchy as fuck, you know, like, but in totally actuality, that's like a part of Bitch Pudding's character. Like that's a character for me, for mm-hmm. sure. And it's yeah, my oh. universe and my like nostalgia factor for sure. So like when I put that wig on, I was like, I don't care if I go home this episode, no one can ever say shit to me about my drag because I feel that confident in it. For sure. And it was fun because you played different characters that, you know, you, you showed us different versions of what your drag was, which I think was really interesting and it intrigued all the judges too. Well, yeah, drag can be so many things for so many different people. And what we saw there was your theater actor background. Like for me, it was theater training. Yeah, for sure. And like coming up with those characters was the funnest part because, man, like that storytelling is why I got into drag. It was because I wasn't getting roles in my college because they weren't casting me because I was like outly proud and a radical queer. Like I was wearing fishnets and cut off shirts to school with like a Sailor Moon tank top. Like I was like, I'm out proud and I'm not going back in the closet, bitch, ever again. She was that gay. Yeah, I was like, ooh, we're here, honey. You know, some people come out and they're gay and then other people come out and they're superhero gay. Well, I was like, I was super villain gay. I was like, let's do it, bitch. We're here. Um, and then I wasn't like, they couldn't see me as a serious actor. So I got challenged by the theater department. Like, Hey, you know, like we need to do a charity event. I'm like, fuck it. Let's do a drag show. And we sold out within like two days, raised like a couple thousand dollars for charity. And like during the process, everyone's like, well, I want to be Giselle. I want to be Monica. I was like, I want to be the girl that got fucked by the lacrosse team and then showed up to work. Like, that, <laughs> like I want to be trash. And um, that's where bitch pudding came from. And it's been so fun developing over the years. And it's a constant thing. Like, did I go into it thinking like, wow, like, almost like six or seven years later I would still be doing drag and doing all these operas as awesome opportunities no it's just drag has been constantly thing that's constantly opened up doors for me and it's been beautiful to be a part of and especially the chapter on drag like I'm so grateful for you guys giving me an opportunity to oh thank you I mean so if you look back obviously it all worked out because you won but if you went back in time with the knowledge you had now would you change anything or would you just let it play out exactly the same um I feel I would have done a different Cinnabite character. Okay. I think that was the one thing that I I felt like I could have done better. And my promo look, I feel like I could have done better um, or like realized it better. I wish my Cinnabite character, I had done my original concept where it's coming out with like, you know, the rubber mask fetishes, like the people who were like all rubber masks and like feel like they're women. Yeah. I was going to yeah. wear that and take the mask off and be like completely gross and like alopecia in the hair and mm. have like gloves and take them off and be like completely gross and had a detox dress with my ass showing. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if you've seen my or heard about my Fiona Shrek number. I've kind of incorporate this original idea into that where I pull out my colon from my ass yeah. and I whip it around on stage. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hate um, your Cinnabite look, honestly, but... I wish... Uh, also, you know, if I couldn't have done that original character like I planned... I saw Willem's book backstage and I had flame paper and I thought about lighting the book on fire. And I feel like I should have just done it and not asked production mm-hmm. and, yeah. and just been like, you know what? Fuck it girl. And then I realized later with like, you know, the smoke thing attached to the chain during wasteland weekend, which is like illegal as fuck. But I was like, yes. you know what, bitch, you're on TV once. Okay. Yeah. We're exactly. Doing <laughs> you know what? I've learned this too. It is always better to ask for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. Right. And I learned that that first episode. So it helped me out later in the competition. So, you know, you live, you learn and, it was a totally. great experience. So here's a weird question. If you didn't win, uh, who do you think would have won and why? 
Um, if I didn't win, I felt Disasterina had a really good chance. Mm-hmm. And when she went home, it hit me really hard. Um, I feel like Abora would have won if she got out of her ass a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. But then I also could have totally seen Dolly if she stuck around. Like Dolly was fucking fierce and is become like her evolution of drag after the show has been phenomenal. Like mm-hmm. I love watching her change her shit. Yeah. But I feel like Abora probably had a really, really good solid shot if stuff had not played out the way it did. I knew coming in, I was like, if she's there, she's the competition. It felt like to me, by the time we got the Wasteland weekend, it almost seemed like she was reserved to leaving. It seemed like to me, at least. Yeah, I feel like the mind games, because watching the season back now, I was like, girl, they got in your head because they were scared of you. Mm-hmm. And that is another game in itself because, you know, we're all gunning for that crown. Like, we want it. We're all, we're not hungry. We're fucking starving. And you have to approach Draga like you have to be starving. And if you lose that hunger even a little bit, you get cut out. And that's like what happened to people each and every week. And you can see that on the TV. Yeah. And, you know, I think the competition on season two, like the cast was so incredible. And mm-hmm. I felt like <laughs> you guys got a lot of grief, like when it came down to the, to the top three and like how do you feel like the public received you as the winner of the season it was crazy because when the episodes first started airing i was like i suck until like midway through like i'm not and i had like maybe five people on reddit that were like team bitch and everyone else was like abora or like disasterina <laughs> they were like all that and i just sat back quietly like oh i know how this plays out so mm-hmm. I hope you guys enjoy yeah. um and when it got towards the end um they really came around and really resonated with that story of me showing like, you know, you don't have to let bullying get to you. You can compete and let your actions speak for themselves. And I was really lucky that they came around and uh, I don't really have much negative stuff from the show. That's another thing like with reality TV, you know, you always, Ooh, there might be negativity, but I feel like the Dragula fan base is just like, we're all queer and weirdos. And I feel like they embrace like every sliver of each and every competitor. And, you know, from this point on, like, I think, you know, James would have been great. Victoria would have been great. But it's been an honor to be the season two winner. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, you undisputedly won. So, you know, it's just <laughs> it's interesting just because there were so many stars on the season. Yeah. It, it doesn't always happen like that. But it was like, God, it's like a lot of pressure, which actually leads into my next question, which mm-hmm. was people think that once you win Dragula, the scary part is over. But I think once you win like a whole other set of challenges pop up. And I was wondering what was the hardest part about winning the show for you? It was terrifying, honestly, winning. And like, it's finally, I was like, I'm, I resonate with the golden retriever a lot, like an undead golden retriever, like a zombie <laughs> golden retriever. <laughs> and I finally caught like, you know, the meat truck. And I was like, okay, now what? And I was like, it was really, I got there and, you know, I, I went on the show. I threw out whatever didn't fit in my car. I moved to Los Angeles. I was crashing on Meatball's couch. I was basically homeless. And I finally won this money, so I was able to get an apartment. And then I kept touring from there. And it was kind of like this fucking whirlwind that happened that was surreal. And I, I had to come up with stuff on the spot. And it was seriously one of the most challenging things I've ever done in my life was after the show aired. Yeah. After yeah. After the show. And like, it, it was the pressure, too, because like, I kept thinking, like, I don't ever, like, I have to carry this franchise on my back. Like, people are looking at me. And I, every, mm-hmm. I overthought a lot in the beginning about, what would be the right, what would be the right choice? I kept second guessing myself, which was crazy because the whole time I was doing it on the show, I was fucking up. And then I remember the advice that I gave myself was like, bitch, just breathe. Mm-hmm. And the second I started doing that, it came naturally. And then like I did nightgowns where I did the janitor number and it was like fucking perfect. And like, yeah. it kept like everything from then on. I was like, okay, just like 
you won because you're yourself and you got to like believe in that and be yourself. And, you know, like you can't judge yourself based on other shows or other reality stuff because like Dragulate's its own beast and you have that beautiful way of carving that into like, you know, people's, you know, psyche, which is really awesome. Yeah. There's no no guidebook because you're such a different winner than Vander. So it's like, you're like, well, what, how am I supposed to represent (laughs) this? You know, it's different for all of you. I know it's super stressful. Yeah, and like that's the bull- cool thing is like we're all like part of this Legion of Doom. We all represent different supervillains, you mm-hmm. know. Like the Riddler is not the same as the Joker, and it's not the same as like you know Lex Luthor. We're all we're all fucking different. Yeah, and that's what makes us really fucking cool. And yeah, it's like you, there was no b- blueprint, and it you know I I do like some kind of direction, and when there's no direction, it does take me a second to be like, okay, well. uh Woo! All right, we're gonna walk this way, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and if the path was getting shitty, I was like, "Well, that was wrong," and I had to go back to square one and walk the other way. And you know, you kind of you kind of learn for yourself. And it's like I compared. Uh, I had a weird look back on everything, and I, you know, I feel like in high school, as when we're queer, that wasn't really like our high school. Our high school is really like the later years, right? So college for me was my high school my uh no college yeah college was my high school and then the atlanta drag scene was my college and i feel like dragula was my grad school Hmm. if that makes sense yeah which makes us your like wicked headmasters and i'm into that i'm totally into that Um, exactly our witch school Yeah, yeah i think you had it you had a unique challenge because the 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 fan base already had Vander, who was such a fan favorite and had kind of established a vibe for what a Dragula winner looked like. So you had to come out not only to carry the weight of the crown, but also kind of carve out your own unique space and have your own voice and style, which you absolutely have done. And it's interesting because you also expand the Dragula universe um, at the same time. You show a different idea of what a winner could look like. Right. And a lot of people thought that, you know, or originally watched the first season and was like, ooh, like Vander, it's like so looking and dark. And it's like, you know, her shit is unfathomably art. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like there'll be a period of time at the Museum of Modern Art where all our performances and looks will be hung there and (laughs) as an exhibit, like without a doubt in my mind. And I can't wait to attend that. Um, but like, that does not, like, that's not what I do, you know? And it was really hard being like, well, like I can do that, but like, I could only maybe do a sliver of what she does, but you know, I'm really good at talking. I'm good at hosting. I'm a nerd. And you find your own like resilience in that and playing these like crude characters and diving into what makes bitch pudding amazing. I doubted you. I doubted you for a second. I want to bring, I don't mean to interrupt, but I want to bring it to, um, the intro that we did in the third season when we kind of emulated our own version of like the craft uh-huh. and and it was like okay we're all coming as like kind of like our witches manifest and when you showed up that day like i kind of like craned my neck and did a huh like and I, <laughs> I just had to look at it for a minute and i was like what the fuck is she actually doing but then when i saw the footage i'm like she knows exactly what she's doing because that was it was so it was so like, good <laughs> and it was strange and gross and it was like a great representation that was so good in the jar yeah. it was just like it was just so good it was, yeah, really, yeah, it was really fun you gave me uh, i still have that jar by the way if you ever want to raffle it off or something <laughs> oh, i have the jar we're it's collecting nasty it's unopened <laughs> perfect we're collecting pieces for our own uh dragula museum exhibit too so yes, have to, we'll have to submit it <laughs> i'm totally down to submit it um but yeah like holy fucking shit it was really fun being and yeah that's the one challenge and everyone asked me like what would you wish you could have done and i was like dude i wish i could have done that first challenge on dragula which was the witch oh, like i think yeah. the witch mm. is so fucking cool 
So when he brought me back for that, I was like, oh, filth. Oh, I got this. I'm going to be that old ass nasty hag. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fine. It was unexpected, but awesome. Because, you know, for us, especially when we're on set and we have all our contacts in and we've been there for 12 hours and then someone shows up and you almost can't even process it at the time until later. And then you're like, what the fuck just happened? And what did everyone look like? And then you see, like, okay, it was good. You know? That was great. Yeah. It's like when you're going through the motions, like for the digital drag show, for sure. Like for me, I'm like, I don't know what happened. And then I'll watch clips the next day. I'm like, okay, it was good. Yeah. But the whole time I'm like, I'm white knuckling it, you know, especially the first <laughs> show where we had like 10,000 viewers in the first 10 minutes. I was like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> and then Can't my music's playing for my number and I could barely hear it. It was like a, it was like a small whisper in the side of the room. And I was like, I hope this is fine. And it turned out to be great. So, <laughs> Well, listen, speaking of uh, having the opportunity to kind of live that witch fantasy on the third season, what was it like for you to watch the third, third season of the show? You know, there was a delay in production and it finally came out. And then there we are, you were the reigning drag super monster, but the competition was underway to find a new one. So what was that like for you? It was really awesome just to watch people like watch the family grow and get to know my new siblings and be like, fuck, this is fucking cool. You know, because it's like we had we were like so scarce because we're like only two seasons in. So like Mm -hmm. when the more that come in, I'm like, yes, the empire is growing (laughs) in the corner. Um, It was really surreal, actually, to judge Eva in particular, uh, because she had judged me in competitions before and sitting in that chair and watching her compete as a competitor and be a little bit in her head. I was like, bitch, you're Eva fucking destruction. Like, these kids are scared of you and they should be. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, like I was literally like, that was a cool fucking part. It's just like being having that role flipped and watching these competitors give it their all and you know watching the production like it's leaps and bounds in season two and like eons ahead of season one and i'm just excited to see what season four and future seasons will bring like you guys are fucking killing it thank you i mean you know we i feel like we all contribute it's like a family vibe and every year everyone contributes to it and you know we even check in with you guys are like what you know what do you think could be better what did you like about this and even asking you now like you know we are genuinely curious what you thought about the competitors, the way the competition went down. It's always interesting to hear. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, what do you think, that being said, what do you think is the biggest misconception about the Boulay Brothers Dragula? About the the whole show in general? Yeah. Or like, okay. Um, that, like, okay, a lot of people, when they watch my season, they're like, oh, I watched that extermination and I couldn't, and that was the piercing one. And I'm like, hey, okay, get over it. You've seen crazier <laughs> shit in horror movies. Two, like... As queers, we go through mauling of our own personal psyche, which is way worse than any physical pain you can ever have. Like Mm -hmm. gays that come out, you know, later in life or like, you know, we don't have like gays, queers don't have that beautiful puberty in high school. We have to develop that and unpack that, you know, years after and have those experiences after. And it's like a huge thing that we have to overcome. And I think the biggest misconception is like, ooh, the exterminations. And I'm like, Mary, all I had to do was shoot paintballs and fight a bitch in a Thunderdome, which I would have done anyway. (laughs) And if you're good, you're not in the bottom. And if you listen, you do great. You know what I mean? Like, 
That's yeah. the biggest misconception is for me is like, dude, it's a lot of fucking fun. And like yeah. you watched Fear Factor growing up and you were like, oh, that looks fun. Or any MTV like reality show where it was like competition based and they had them like hang gliding and shooting paintballs and shit. That was fun for me. And I was like, you know what? Let's fucking do it. And I think the biggest misconception too is like, for me, when people like see the show, like, oh, of course you guys love horror. That's a huge part of the show, right? Yeah. But Dragula to me is defined, I, I define it a little bit differently. I think it's that innate, ability that makes you who you are is what Dragula is right yeah. like for instance uh vander is like like ethereal artist like that's what who she is and she makes everything is that whole like you know doing that um abor is this crazy maniacal character that looks like a square enix or final fantasy painting come to life and it's like your worst nightmare for me it's my versatility like mm-hmm. i if you regardless of what you book me for i can bring it and i'll give it to you a thousand percent that's me yeah. um and i feel like dragula could represent like for instance if you're a regal pageant queen like a trans pageant queen and you go off kind of on halloween but you kind of keep it in the closet because you have to work commercially and do that whole gig but if you're a complete ice cold bitch in the dressing room and no one can touch you that's dragula exactly you are so right my god i want a competitor like that let it let it be known and let it be said right now from bitch's mouth right to the universe like a deadly icy gorgeous cunty pageant fierce ass competitor like i bring it for season four well that's you know we tried to sort of make an example of that with melissa because that you know we talked about that earlier melissa is very punk and tattooed and everything uh when she's out of drag but in drag, she's very pageanty and, you know, it has a completely mm-hmm. different attitude. It's like this kind of evil Marilyn Munster energy that we were all, right. you know, and, and I, I hope that people caught onto that. But yeah, a lot of people will be like, well, I'm not a total special effects monster. I'm like, you don't have to be that. You're like, look at Disasterina or, you know, there's so many, there's so much versatility and style. Right. Exactly. And like, you know, every time I'm in a city, a girl will be like, I really loved your season. I'll look at her drag or it's a drag king. I'll look at the drag artist and be like, I'll look them up and down and watch what they do that night. At the end of the show, I'm like, you know what? When they have auditions, you should audition. And they're like, what? I don't really see myself. I'm like, Dragula is more than that. Dragula mm-hmm. is not about, you know, just horror, filth and glamour. It's about that innate animalistic quality we all each have in us. And that makes us like who we are. It makes us that super villain. It makes us that who we are. Because all super villains aren't like the crazy bitches who have cloaks and daggers. Right. You know, some of them are like businesswomen. Yeah, totally. <laughs> That's true. Oh, my God. Totally. I love that. Like, yeah. I just think that people might have a narrow view of what it is. But it actually, if you really watch the show... Like, you know, for me, I had that example, like in season one, I watched season one. I was like, oh, I vibe with this shit so hard, but I don't see bitch in this universe. Mm -hmm. And then I watched Loris die Mm -hmm. and she looks like a 90s, 80s prostitute and gets killed by a John. And I was like, oh. (laughs) <laughs> there's bitch pudding all right let's get it going they they like that okay and I, I i realized that when i wore you know my pete burns everyone's wearing black and i had like fucking sequins head to toe i'm like the boulets biggest misconception about the boulets they love glamour girl yeah. they love a stone they love a good <laughs> earring they love big hair so you pageant you pageant creatures of the night don't shy away from dragula that might be your ticket I'm just well saying. some of the most evil drag artists i've ever met are pageant queens so right <laughs> There was this old bitch in Atlanta who died in a fire. It was kind of iconic. She was a huge, huge drag uh, phenom in Atlanta, and she died in a fire. And she was like, her body was reaching to the door as she was getting out because the fire caught, like, in her house, and all her drag caught fire. And they didn't find her until days later. But her voicemail was so iconic. It's my favorite voicemail of on time. She goes, hi, it's so-and-so, so-and-so. And just so you know, beauty is only a step away. Enjoy the walk and the hangs up. 
Wow. So that, so that being said, what advice would you give to people who want to audition or be on future seasons of the show? Be a thousand percent yourself. I auditioned for other stuff in the past, but the second audition with Dragula, I felt like all those binding things, all of me second guessing myself, I was like, fuck that shit. I'm doing whatever the hell I want. And, you know, don't watch the show and, you know, try to copy somebody. Beer is what you, what you bring to the table is what's going to make that season ferocious. So true. You know, like you have an ability that's not been represented before showcase that be a thousand percent yourself and don't hide it. Like if you are a cunt, like show that you're that, you know, show that you're a complete bitch. If you Mm -hmm. are, you know, really (laughs) sissy, but like masculine at the same time, show that, I mean like Dragula, all creatures of all monsters are different shapes and sizes. Mm -hmm. And Dragula is a representation of that. You're right. It's so, and your audition tape was great too. I don't know if we ever talked about that, but I remember loving your audition tape and the, um, the death scene you did, you presented it so differently and it was so great. And even seeing you uh, talk with the video games behind you and everything, we really got a good sense of who you were. So you're right. It's like be your authentic self. And that's what resonates the, the most. Yeah, and take every moment of your tape to showcase who you are. So, like, if you know, if you are a nerd, don't talk about it. Like, maybe set it up behind you. It's those little things that can separate you from, like, oh, wow, blank wall, and you're just, like, monotone, cool. Like, Abora's tape was really crazy because she sat there and had, like, children overlaid over her (laughs) as she was talking in a small baby breath, being oddly seductive. It was fucking crazy. (laughs) It was. Um. Yeah, it's just be yourself and have fun with it. You know, like, if you're not having fun, you're not doing drag. And it'll like, that's the best thing I can ever say to anybody. If you're not having fun, you're not doing drag. And if you aren't having fun and doing drag, then you're making some bad drag. I think you're right. And listen, before we let you go, I want to say that I think I really think you had it the hardest of all three winners. And I just want to tell you that we're proud of what you've done with your career and your win. And I want to say that, you know, during this weird time of COVID when many drag performers can't work, you know, it's so awesome what you've done with the digital drag show. And you've really given so many drag performers a space to perform and make money. And it's just a really awesome thing that you've done. Thank you so much. It was so awesome. Like, it, it's it been really surreal getting people like message me being like, I didn't know I was going to pay rent this month. But because I did your show, I'm able to pay rent or help my dad buy groceries. And it's been cool watching, you know, all these people come out of the woodwork and hit me up to do the show. Like if you guys are at all interested in doing the show, we're open to all drag artists, all types of drag. All you got to go is to do digital drag.net and you too can be part of the future of drag. Um, and yeah, it's been really fucking cool. And a lot of people I'm like, Ooh, I hope the blaze are watching because that's a good one for season four. <laughs> There's definitely a few names that have come up. Yes, <laughs> we were always watching bitch. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, we'll be right back. And after the break, we are going to be joined with our current reigning drag super monster, Landon cider. Ooh, smell you later. everyone we are joined now by our current reigning drag super monster and the first drag king to compete and win a broadcast u.s competition the one and only landon cider welcome landon and thank you for joining us hello thank you so much for having me i'm very excited to be here today so i think we should just jump right into it i think you're you're the the freshest kill out of all three of our winners (laughs) (laughs) proudly 
<laughs> Let's start at the beginning for people that don't know. How long have you been performing in drag? Uh, just over 10 years. Okay. And what was your experience like coming up in what many consider to be a male-dominated art form? Uh, it was definitely showing itself to be a male-dominated art form. Um, in my experience, it was uh, difficult in a sense of um, gaining respect from audiences who had never been exposed to something like me before or very minimally. Uh, my peers saw my potential like early on and were very generous with stage times and advice and um, letting me get there early or even sometimes to shows I wasn't even performing in just to watch them paint so I could learn what the fuck are they doing so that I can wow. figure out how to do it to myself. So the community, the Long Beach community um, was always very, very open. Uh, West Hollywood's a little bit of a different story, but you know, that comes with the territory of West yeah, Hollywood. Sure, sure. Uh, but once um, I had some allies that really brought me up um, and brought me with them, like Morgan McMichaels invited me to do a duet with her at Showgirls. And that was like an audition um, in my eyes, at least. And then that mm-hmm. immediately got, respected by the producers and then I got started getting gigged by them and slow evolution but I had many people on my side to use their platforms to help showcase mine what made you become interested in drag in the first place uh the first time I went to a drag show was this fucking cool blend of cabaret and improv and musical theater and um, visual arts and it was just, you know, people lip syncing to other people's music, but it was still the way they were doing it was so inventive to me that I felt like I just needed to be a part of that world. Uh, I came from when I was little painting and drawing all the time and being in musical theater and it's just kind of a blend of my interests. Uh, as I got older, I started getting involved in special effects makeup, self, self teaching myself things. And it, I, I couldn't think of a more perfect, um, career choice and media to just kind of put all of my artistic interests through a funnel of Landon. Yeah. It kind of blends all of those things yeah. together sort of perfectly. Mm-hmm. It's a good, it's a unique uh, interest set you have because not everybody, not all drag artists have all of those interests and it really does seem like it was the perfect blend of all of your interests. Mm-hmm. I'm not so much of a dancer, but I can, I can uh, impersonate the house down. So <laughs> you have a great stage presence though. So Thank you. truly. Yeah. Um, and you, you know, you talked about your, your support system in Long Beach and I know you've had a strong support system with some Queens in Long Beach, like Jules, but were there drag Queens who made you feel like you didn't belong? Uh, definitely. Um, those were more often like the old school, old pageant, old um, ballroom scene kind of queens that would, I would walk into a room and I would always make sure to introduce myself to everyone and, and you know, be the first person to go and, and you know, just break the ice because mm-hmm. I knew that I was kind of stepping into their world, especially at a new venue or a new club. Um, and I would get the cold shoulder plenty of times, but that was once I performed and once they heard the audience react to me, it was a completely different story. Uh, there's, yeah. there's, you there's had even, to let them know. Yeah. There, there was even audio of like, uh, of me, perf- video of me performing. And next to the cameraman, there was a, a 
quite popular drag racer. And she, I came on stage and you hear, hear her explaining to her friends what a drag king is and going, mm, eh, like already judging. And then after the show, and I could see pictures of her watching me, uh, she was very, very interested in my art because I proved her wrong. So, Wow, that's cool. <laughs> Fuck those bitches. <laughs> Did you go show her your crown and say, I have this and you don't? Right. <laughs> So that being said, how did the crowd react to you when you were first performing? Did were they receptive to a drag king? Um, most of the time, yeah. I the way I always kind of crafted my performances was to uh, dedicate the first minute of whatever song I was doing to setting the stage and kind of introducing the story that I was telling, and that was where my main. Um, my focus was that first minute. And then after that, then you go and collect tips and interact with them and break the fourth wall and stuff. But I always treated that first minute to captivate you. And if you're not interested, I'm not everyone's cup of tea, but that's also why they make lots of different kinds of beverages. So the ones that got me suddenly were interested. The ones who didn't, I don't, care <laughs> so, yeah. sure sure the drag world has a ton of like legendary drag queens that i think more and more um as drag becomes more accessible fans sort of recognize some of the the legends that exist in the drag queen world mm-hmm. but are there drag kings that might be you know legendary inspirations for you let's say oh for sure uh when i was first kind of looking into the drag king world there wasn't a lot of um like tutorials or anything like that but there was still a presence of those who were doing it even though they were being told they shouldn't um one of my biggest inspirations that i talk about all the time is sexy galaxy in australia uh they have this really cool um artistic approach and feminine uh version of the makeup that i always kind of was drawn to and then um there's, of course, like historical kings, um, the Stormy Delavere, and uh, even though he's a male impersonator, doesn't, he didn't enjoy the term drag king. Um, mm-hmm. But still, there, there are lots of different people from lots of different worlds and, and generations that I drew inspiration from. Um, Hetty King, uh, and then some of the modern ones, Moby Dick, um, mm-hmm. Dre. There's, there's a lot of everywhere that we've been around we've been around a very very long time and, sure. and i just made sure to kind of look at the whole history to figure out you know how do i find inspiration from all of these um ceiling breaking women and that's the thing like drag kings aren't a new thing but it's just people are are honestly just becoming more and more exposed to drag in general and then they're like well a drag king and it's like it this isn't a new art form even for us uh you know not to date ourselves but when we were sort of coming up in nightlife and the scene in new york there was a lot of drag kings around one of my best friends was a, was a drag king so mm-hmm. it was never a weird thing for us you know what i mean like it was kind right. of like it was part of the community it was like we all performed together and so it was strange to kind of see how drag became bigger and that segment was left out and you're like why it was such a weird thing you know yeah we have people who um create this platform from themselves and they don't bring everyone up with them they just bring up the ones who they think can make the most money forgetting that there's a huge huge demographic of people who have money too that would like to see themselves reflected in that tv as well Absolutely. And I think that's something interesting, you know, for you, did you feel coming onto the show and seeing your popularity grow and people are so receptive to you? Do you, did you feel any sort of responsibility? Like, well, now I have to represent this thing or I have to represent all drag kings or anything like that. Oh, 
that's even asking that question feels like an understatement because I was overwhelmed with the level of responsibility that I felt, uh, even to the point of having anxiety over it. I knew that I was representing an entire a subculture within a subculture within a subculture that um, I couldn't properly represent the whole kingdom because mm-hmm. I don't, I can't do and don't do many of the things that some amazingly talented Kings out there can do. And I, all I would hope is that my, I would inspire people to go and look for more, all the other talented drag Kings out there. Um, I went in there to do my best and to represent my own art specifically, but hopefully to inspire more people to research and to become um, Kings, but to be my best at all times. And now I have this, this magnifier on, on top of me to always kind of figure out when I'm going to miss up or slip up or that, that anxiety um, grew while watching the show and seeing my popularity. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It was a overwhelmingly in the most magical ways to have that kind of support, but also the more support I got, the more I felt like the farther I can fall if I failed somewhat, you know? So yeah, it's a, it's a double-edged sword for sure. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with us, though. It's like, we're the host of the show. We're not the host of the show because we are the best drag artists ever on the earth. We're the best dancers and makers. That's not what we're saying. You know, right. it's really about living your authentic self mm-hmm. and showing by example, hey, and, and you don't have to be perfect. Your life is about failing and learning, right? Yeah, you can misspell intelligence and you can still get away with it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It might even become a meme and then you're selling merch all of a sudden. <laughs> all of a sudden. <laughs> I got to say, though, I knew, you know, once we, we decided and we knew that you were the winner, I don't think there's anyone more qualified to go out and take the responsibility of representing a brand or drag kings in general than you. We were very confident and I think you've done a great job. Thank you. I really appreciate that. You you know, from not just the finale, but from um, conversations that I had with you on and off camera, I I was for sure wanted you to know that I wasn't going to be used as a token and I did not want to win as a token. And, Mm -hmm. and I appreciate you um, not, not judging me with that in mind, but also showcasing that that was one of my points because that was something that, um, in in response to that episode and the fin- and the reunion, uh, people really understood that I that was a concern of mine, and people um, celebrated it with me. So, yeah, and yeah. it's so true. I mean, you won fair and square. Period. Undisputably, I think I don't think anyone disputed that win. Thank you. I mean, there are, there are people out there that could have their opinions, but again, they're not they're not tipping me at shows. They're not coming to the shows. They're not paying my bills. So I don't think anybody important disputes right. that one. Exactly. So, <laughs> I, I want to share this with you guys. Um, my sister-in-law, my brother was married a few years ago, and he's been with the same same girl for like 10 years, and I love her too. And she's just kind of getting into our world and like what we do. And she binged Dragula this week, season three. Like she's seen season one and two. And season three, she's been educated now in, in this world. Um, you know, she called me a couple of days ago like, okay, wait, I I need to know some things like pronouns, like let's discuss and like a a king, like what is that? And I got to see what we were creating together because we have that responsibility too, to to include you in the competition, but not judge you as a token and just splay and lay out the the full array of the, the, um, the contestants and their their creativity and their skills and, and put that on the same level, not to treat one person any different than the other, but just judge them on the challenge at hand. So she had a complete re-education, knows how to deal with pronouns and be respectful and knows what a drag king is. And you were 
Uh, you were her favorite from about episodes two and three on. And I got a text yesterday because I think she finished watching the show. And she's like, oh, my God. Yes, Landon. Like, so amazing. Mm-hmm. So hot. Uh, you won her over, too. So I think we, we, we all did a, a great job with delivering these weird, you know, quote, unquote, weird messages for people. They've not seen this stuff before. Yeah. And we've made it palatable and, and entertaining. Right. Yeah, I I obviously appreciate that because I've had <clears throat> um, many new people. And, and I know, Jack, it's a... Uh, a hot topic, whether uh, drag is for children or children to see drag. But <clears throat> I think at the level of if you're showing your kids and teaching them what's what's adult language and adult themes and stuff and, and shield them from certain types of um, versions of drag, I think it can be used as a learning tool. And I've had so many um, families and teachers um, just approach me and say, thank you for, for this and doing that and thanking you through me for um, showcasing because I'm, I'm I was able to show kids out there that this it's possible to do this no matter what parts you were born with. Mm-hmm. And let me ask you a question going back to like dressing rooms and when you were starting off in drag and, you know, this male dominated uh, industry. It, this is kind of a philosophical question, but I'm curious your thoughts on it. As a woman, do you think there is anything inherently misogynistic about cis men performing as drag queens? I think there are opportunities to bring out um, a misogynistic tone. I think it's about the approach. If you're mm-hmm. celebrating um, the art of being a beautiful woman, I think that's something to be celebrated with you because I am a proud woman. I'm a proud androgynous woman, but I do have um, my feminine side that I love to explore as well. And when I see, um, it's, it's, I think it's, it comes down to really how a lot of art is sometimes um, celebrating and sometimes making fun of. And even within the making fun of is still sometimes okay, like pushing stereotypes, making fun of stereotypes, those types of things can be good, but you kind of, you kind of, you get an idea of the intention behind someone and behind the intention behind things. And I think every, every situation should be um, judged individually. Yeah, I think that. I mean, it's weird because we've, we've talked about that before because we always try to just, you know, have these conversations that are big and what, what eventually will drag look like? You know what I mean? And, yeah. and you could almost see it in a way that it could be offensive to some people in the future. You know, if, it, if, if you weren't con- if you didn't consciously lead it or make sure it was going a certain way. Yeah. Um, because even the idea of saying, okay, here's these drag queens who are on a show and there's even a female judge, but you can't, you won't invite women to compete. It That sends a really strange message. You know what I mean? Particularly when the conversation has been ha- had so many times and screamed from rooftops and, and asked in front of the panel in real life and then edited out of um, videos of, the, you know, there's a, there's a lot of opportunities that have been public. So the future can look back at that and say, but people were concerned and telling you about it in your face and you're still ignoring it with like um, something for like for you, as an example, people approach situations and call you out on things, whatever they might find personally offensive and stuff. And you will take it, individually and approach it. And if you feel that it is something that you're rethinking about it, you'll publicly acknowledge that concern and say, they're going to rethink how you do it and change it in the future. Like you, you take responsibility for the public crying their outrage while other platforms don't and they completely ignore it. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, that's something we felt like, 
you know, it, even if you automatically are like, I'm the type of person that, uh, you know, our live shows or whatever, we're already trying to be super inclusive. Even, I mean, you performed at Dragula back when it was a, a club even. So, you mm-hmm. know, the kind of environment it comes from. And you assume, well, everyone knows that. But when you, you know, change it to a TV show, everyone doesn't know that because with all they know is whether they're seeing that representation on your show and they don't know that, hey, People didn't, you drag kings didn't realize that they could audition for the show. They just assumed that they couldn't because they can't for other shows, you know? Yeah. And, but you, as a host, you have to own that and take that and say, I have to take that responsibility and I have to make sure that I address that, you know? Totally. Yeah. I, I've been um, in your world before the reality show came out and I knew that I was um, welcome to audition for the first season. I just didn't, it wasn't within my time frame, and I was, uh, under under contracts with a different project that wouldn't allow me to anyway but it was it's been part of your opportunities that you were given people it just wasn't known by other people yeah Yeah, well while we're talking about that you know the timing wasn't right we did you know try to encourage you uh to audition and kind of become a part of the cast for season one but by the time season three rolled around and we did get a tape we you know we could tell that you were really ready and completely determined. Um, you know, you put everything into that. So what had changed that made you feel that, you know, this was the right path for you and this was like the right time for you? Um, literally just, uh, uh, Po- the opportunity that was within my possibility because I was, uh, like I said, under contract for different projects and I had things that were not allowing me to take part in the competition. I, I, once I found out about it, I wanted to be a part of it because I had already worked with you and knew what your vision was and what you could do and what your potential was. And the first season showed us that potential, um, but what was there. And then the second season showed us what money could add to the potential. (laughs) It was just, it was just the the perfect timing for me too. nothing changed my mind. I wanted to be a part of this entire family since the beginning. And I kind of already felt like I was because I'd already worked with you before that. Um, And, but just the timing just worked perfectly for me. Really. Uh, And I think, Often, things that are meant to be are just happen that way. I think Dragula yeah. has so many examples of that too. Mm-hmm. I, and the timing that allowed me to garnish and and just um, collect more and more skills and interests with art to then approach and deliver that in the competition and into the challenges was I'm thankful for too because those those three years allowed me to learn much more than I would have if I had gone into season one. Oh, sure. Well, that synchronicity is amazing, but your determination is cool to hear, um, you know, and knowing that it was the right time and the right moment. But when you got there, like day one, did you have any second, uh, second thoughts or any doubts at all? Oh, hell yeah. Are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) Again, understated question, but like I was beyond nervous completely. Am I in out of my head? What am I doing? How am I going to people read me? What, what if I fail? What if I kicked off the first challenge? Um, everyone will be just so disappointed in me, all of those things. And I, and I failed. My personal failure is in that super villain for sure. Like I was. so horrible in the way that I delivered. We've, we've, we've had personal conversations about how bad I was on that oh, first. I was, nervous. I was nervous. I was like, okay, well, oh shit. Oh, hell no. Like, what's going on? Totally. They're like, well, you even told me, well, I guess some people just don't deliver on TV the way that we thought they would. And I'm like, oh my God, I was really bad. And I knew it, but I also knew that I had forgotten my corset. So I was so insecure about my body and the way, and the way I looked 
out. So that was like my first la- layer of insecurity. And just mm. the, the look didn't come together the way I wanted. It was supposed to glow in the dark. It was supposed to be animated. I was supposed to have so many things and different things to it that I had to change um, because we had no time. So my 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 ideal um, did not get delivered. And I was just in that insecurity and it delivered on stage. Very obviously, yeah. Well, it seemed like by the time, you know, for the second challenge, it was like, oh, there's Landon. You know, it was kind of yeah. like, that was the performer that we knew you to be. So we two were like, uh-oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it worked out. And I have to say, like, you being honest with me, even because when you're getting your, you're on the stage and you're getting your critiques. Um, I was I was in the middle, so I didn't get critiques. But every episode, no matter if we got on stage critiques or not, you still took the time to have a conversation with us and answer any questions about what we thought, what we were confused about, the critiques were. You always took the time to have a personal moment with us to talk about it because you were you wanted us to succeed, you wanted us to give our best, and you wanted to give us like honest feedback. Um, but that first week when I got my critiques and you literally said you were a disappointment, I was thankful for that harsh criticism because that's what put the fire into my butt to be like, fuck that. I am not going to be a disappointment. <laughs> um, I am going to come out and blow them away on the next one to remind them why they cast me. Because at it's first, the scary yeah. thing about the show, it's like, I feel like Disasterina went through something similar on the first episode of uh, season two was, I think, Disaster and was like, I, I'm going to give them like Dracula. I'm going to be this whore. And I'm like, wait a minute. We cast you because we want you to be Disasterina. We don't mm-hmm. want you to change and become something else. And then she was like, oh. And then I felt like she excelled and, and figured it out. And unfortunately, because it's a competition format, some people, I mean, everyone that's went home first, it's not because they're terrible performers. It's just that's what happened. You Someone know? has to just, go. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I love that we get the chance to talk to them. I hate of anybody going home first because I feel like I feel like you need a couple of episodes to figure out what the hell's going on. Right. Know? Right. And you hear from other competition shows that the hosts or the judges don't get, talk to them, completely ignore them and stuff. And for you, it was, it was completely different. You made your presence known. Um, even when it, you were hiding in the secret, listening and watching us and we didn't know about it, but we learned about after we still like you were very much hands on involved. And even when it came to answering our questions about our looks and why we received the critiques we did. It's weird because you want to be there to give feedback, but you don't want to influence people's drag either. It's it's tough because you're Mm -hmm. like, I want you to be you, but I don't want you to be my vision of you. I want you to be your vision. So it gets confusing. You got to be careful. Mm -hmm. Delicate Um, thing. What do you, who did you think was your biggest competition after meeting the cast on season three? I had known uh, Eva for a while and worked with her. And so I was very aware of her um, level of artistry and what she could bring. So I thought from the beginning, she was my number one um, competition because of that personal relationship with her. Um, and that, that stayed until t- the very end when she left, I still kind of saw her as my, my main competition. So how excited were you when her head got smashed on that strongman thing? Oh, that that murder was amazing. That extermination was so good. Um, but yeah, I was. I, I even said it in my confessional. Like, I'm happy to see her go because you were like, bye. <laughs> I'm not happy to see her hurt and be, you know, like, you know, upset that she got like eliminated. But still, um, bye. <laughs> um, at what point did you um, realize? or start start to think like during the competition that you that you were you could win 
uh, the second episode, Mariachi, when I knew that my approach and version of was completely not in the direction of what the path was intended for that challenge. Um, you, like you said, you would never have thought to see a mariachi uh, vampire. It was something completely unique, but that it worked that my creativity and the version and the spin I do on things and my version, what I did with a fan and adding the little glitter poof when I blew into the trumpet and all these little things that yeah. are just the way my mind works and the way I think about, my version of drag and the artistry and, and the gags and, and all of that. And when I knew that that was uh, something that you really liked, I thought, okay, well, let me just keep doing this because this is what they really like. And this is me. And this is what I really like. So it's your strength. It's naturally your strength. You're so right. that, that's the thing about Landon. Uh, the, the, the details, the meticulous approach. It's so thoughtful mm-hmm. too. So as an audience member, as someone watching you perform, you, I, I smile through the whole thing because I know I'm going to be surprised. I know there's something that I don't see coming that's coming, and it, and it's just it's such a joy. Thank you, and and I love that kind of a response. And I know that um a lot of people did share that opinion. And then, but I, and the thing that I wish I could do more of is to deconstruct more. I love messy. I love punk. I love like gradient, and I love tears and and holes and outfits and that kind of uh whole grunge kind of version of of uh, especially fashion and. I tr- if I try to do it, it looks so weird on me because I obviously <laughs> like don't have that as a natural gift. My gift is like being a perfectionist and being anal as fuck about stuff, but which I love. But I also wish I had more of the ability to deconstruct myself as well because I love that. I'm I'm gravitated to that kind of art when I'm interested in art pieces. It's usually grungy, um, punk, just deconstructed fucked up shit sure mm-hmm. so let's jump uh topics a little bit and you toured through europe with us for the season three tour at the end of last year how did it feel to see so many fans from all over the world coming to see you and what was it like to see them become so emotional just from meeting you face to face oh um so magical uh the stories people shared the inspiration that i give to people has you know, you, you hear about it and people comment on your Instagram post and all these kind of versions of contact that we've made so regular that, um, I'm grateful for it because 20 years ago, we didn't have that ability to contact, um, the, uh, artists that we were, uh, obsessed over and things, but hearing that, interacting them with them and just knowing that some of them didn't even have opportunities to watch the show on, on Netflix. They had to stream it illegally mm-hmm. just so they can watch it. And that's, I just amazing. I know that people go into that much effort and then they end up, uh, having such an appreciation for my art. It was beautiful. Some, especially you were there when, um, that one person shared her personal cancer story and, um, and she, in Netherlands, right? Uh, was it? Oh man, I'm having a brain yeah, fart. A crazy day. I yeah. Think a crazy week. I think, I think there was Amsterdam, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, but I, that sounds very familiar. I want to say yes. Um, but yeah, it was like a, uh, a, a moment where she was kind of over taking over the time that was kind of allotted, allotted for her, but we all knew in that moment to give her that space and that timing because because it was such a sincere and emotional exchange that we were having um of course those kinds of moments are are 
I can undescribable in how much they touch me. And um, I've had the pleasure of having those kinds of exchanges with lots of people all over. Even I did an Australia tour a few years back and that was um, incredible as well to think that was my first kind of introduction to the fact that I had hardcore fans that would stand in line like hours and hours before the venue, just so they could be the first person to walk in so they could see me like those crazy stories that are amazing. Even before a television show. Well, you're touching exactly on the follow-up question, like going back to the beginning of your drag career, like you, you stated earlier, 10 plus years ago. I mean, did you ever see in your future European tours and Australian tours where people would be waiting in line for hours and like knowing your name and screaming your name? And like, was that something that you saw for yourself? Not for the first few years. Um, not at all. I just thought that this was a fun outlet. Let me go back to serving and managing and bartending and to make my real money. And, but this is fun. And I was on stage again and that's all I wanted was to get back on stage. And that was, I felt like the goal was accomplished. And then once I started to really see potential, then my dreams exploded into the possibilities and what I saw other drag artists being able to do, why couldn't I do the same thing? So they were going on European tours. I, I can do that too. So let me manifest it myself um, towards myself, but I still have to put the work in to deserve that manifestation when it arrives. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that's a great mindset. Mm-hmm. Do you, what do you think the biggest misconception is about the Belay brothers Dragula, just the show in general? That it's only for a spooky yuki queens, that it's only for um, like blood and you have to have blood pour out of your mouth uh, every time you're on stage or, you know, or you have to wear, or you have to wear white contacts. Like there's, there's these like um, stereotypes and assumptions that I think for, for me, especially I went in bringing all of my interests into the different characters. And sometimes it was gore and horror, but sometimes it was maybe a little bit of my cosplay or this realistic um, makeup, this, you know, impersonation type of, of face makeup or um, more of fantasy. And I think that all of those things are celebrated and I, feel like you make that pretty obvious, but (laughs) some people just don't um, see that because they see your personas and your personas are the dark, demented, twisted horror. Mm. Um, uh, So they just assume that that's what you want to see too. Um, But obviously I I feel like you've been showing that since the beginning, that that wasn't something that you're expecting people to be like. Yeah, It's a part of it for sure. You have to be able to um, elevate the, the different uh, versions of what you're looking for, but it's not the only part of it. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, I was talking to Priscilla about that recently and I'm like, yeah, you know, it's like you, you want to encourage people to be them at level 10. You mm-hmm. know? And that's what it's really about is like, how do you, how do you live your drag out loud, whatever it might be in the most rebellious punk way possible? You right. Know? Right. Yeah. Um, do you think a, a format like the, the way Dragula is put together, do you think that sort of format is the future of drag competition? And if so, why? I have been saying that Dragula is the future um, for years now, but people just started listening to me saying it. Um, I think because it is uh, a reminder that it's, this isn't what you do. You, you do it the best you can, but you have to figure out how to do it within the limits of this competition. Like, I think that that is a, this is such a great um, 
reminder to say every episode. So it was uh, cool to hear you remind us of that every single time. Like um, that alone, I think is a reason why Dragula is a future. And um, it had no, I had no preference or restrictions on gender, uh, sexual orientation, or any of these other limits that we see on TV. It's it's limitless in that sense. Um, and again, so that and just doing you is two major reasons why I think Dragula is the future. So, so speaking of the future, <laughs> what do you want to see? What would you want to see on a season four? Like, what would that look like? Ooh, um, I want to see me making lots of pop-up uh, performances <laughs> and on stream. That is what yes. I would like to be seen a lot in season four. That's what I want to see. <laughs> I want to see me be a judge. I want to see me be an acting skits. I want to see me be a judge again. I want to see me be a more acting skits. I want to kill. I want to kill someone. I want to kill someone with glitter. Yeah, I, I want to see that. Love it. Love that attitude. <laughs> oh yes. Well, I think we're out of time, and I, look, I know we've told you this privately, but I want to say to you again that you know we're so proud of you as a winner of the show and we feel like you're creative and kind and talented and determined and strong and you just have such a good heart you're really a shining example of the type of person we are proud to elevate and we know that you're an inspiration for a lot of people queer people out there who feel like they don't belong so we just want to thank you again for being a part of the show thank you again i I really really appreciate it and inviting me out uh today um i can't wait to be back on set the many many times that i will be for season four (laughs) and just a reminder to everyone out there uh black and brown lives matter please make sure that you are protesting you're donating you're voting and you're encouraging other people whatever platform or privilege you have well said thank Thank you you so much landon of course thank you All right, that's all the time we have for this episode of Creatures of the Night. If you haven't already, make sure you get tickets to our Boulay Brothers double feature digital drag show streaming live on July 24th. It's a screening of both of our digital productions, The Theater Macabre and The Boulay Brothers Horror Picture Show, followed by a live Q&A with us after the show. 50% of all money raised will go to the Queer Women of Color Media Arts Project, who strive to make marginalized communities visible and vocal and the most expensive and powerful art form in the world. You can learn more at qwocmap.org, and you can get tickets to the show at digitalpridefest.com. Remember to subscribe to our podcast everywhere podcasts are available worldwide. And if you have questions for us about the show, please message us at creatures at belaybrothersdragula.com. Bye. The Boulay Brothers Creatures of the Night is hosted and produced by Drac Morda and Swanthula Boulay. Featuring co-host Ian DeVogler. Produced by Natasha Posetta. Edited and mixed by Ernesto Hortada. With music by Neuron Spectre. America. We are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights. Life liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. 
to serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.